heard across the Resonate Regional Radio Network. It's my time, it's my life. I hope you will come along. This is Rural Queensland Today with Ben Dobbin. Morning and welcome to Rural Queensland today on the Resonate Broadcast Network. It is Tuesday morning, the 28th of February. A very good morning to everybody listening to us across the network through 4SB in Kingaroy, 4ZR in Roma, 4VL in Charleville, 4HI in Emerald, 4LM Mount Isa, 4LG Longreach, 4GC Charters Towers, and the Hot Country Network. Good morning to you. So much to get on and through this morning. Uh, we're going to catch up a little later with Queensland Farmers Federation Chief Executive Officer Joe Shepherd. We'll also talk with David Littleproud, and surprise, surprise, um, now the solicitors um, and the people who obviously look at legislation when it gets read are coming out and saying now that the uh, crime plan, the laws will fail as the Premier's Youth Justice Plan is now going up in smoke. She came out the other day and she claimed that it was going to be the laws that have a massive significant effect. And boy, oh boy, and now it's been shot down. Um, there has been scathing attacks um, that's saying the government has no, should have stick to the evidence-based policy making rather than trying to fix it on the run. And this has come from leading lawyers and solicitors who have been involved in this for some time. It's exactly what we've been saying here on this show with Robbie Catter and many of the ministers around youth crime. Yet the Premier... She still has the $700 a night uh, Christmas parties uh, for guests, which is quite unbelievable, and everything else that's going on. We'll talk with David Littleproud shortly. Joe Shepard, not far away. This is Rural Queensland Today on the Resonate Broadcast Network. Welcome back to Rural Queensland Today. Tuesday morning and the 28th of February, last day of February, and we head towards March tomorrow morning. David Littleproud, leader of the National Party, joins us this morning. David, good morning. Um, mate, so much going on. I- I'll start with some good news, and I just hope that that it does get the green light, and that's the Longreach Pastoral College. Um, we've spoken to, to plenty of stakeholders who are now right in a, I suppose, waiting, waiting pattern to see what actually happens. Um, they want to make a change. A lot of privately owned uh, pastoral companies, agricultural companies have all banded together, and this is a way forward. We just need this Labor government to give it the tick. Yeah, mate. In fact, I'd actually started this when I was Ag Minister. Uh, it, yep. uh, one of the ag uh, pastoral companies came to me about foreign investment, and I made it clear to them the Nationals wouldn't support it unless they invested into agricultural training and that Longreach Pastoral Company was a way forward. In fact, we even did, my office did an environmental scan, so we rang all the big pastoral houses, all the big pastoral families, and said, what's your training needs for a year? And so we, we put all that together and took it just to, to rapid and said, would that be enough for you uh, to financially viably be able to reopen Longreach just for, for that training, not adding the other to it? And they told us it would. Uh, and so these parcel houses, one of which is a government-owned, state government-owned corporation, all it needed was for Mark Ferner to give the tick off. And these yeah. parcel companies, as they are here, are going to come together and effectively underwrite Longreach Parcel Company going forward with just their needs. But then whoever is the provider will also be able to put other training in there as well. So, you know, Mark Ferner, before he closed it, you would have thought he might have done what I did. Uh, and done the scan through all the parcel companies and said, hey, we want to try and keep this going. If we provided X, would you use it? Uh, instead, he just took the lazy option and closed it rather than doing what we did and what these parcel companies are doing 
and, and putting together a plan. So if he gets in the road of this, Mark Ferner uh, effectively just hates agriculture and hates Western Queensland. This is a no-brainer. Just get on with the job. Let these guys do the job. Uh, they're not going to do the training themselves. They'll have a they'll have a, an approved trainer, so they're not taking over education. This is all above board. Uh, but this will reopen this facility, underpin it, and put jobs back in Longreach. This is just common sense. Mark Lerner, get out of the road, sign yeah. the paper, get on with the job. David, you, you're making so much sense, but the thing that concerns me, and I'm, I'm, I mean this genuinely, is that what you said in those comments is that he could have done it. So when he gets shown that he could have done it, when this uh, model is obviously being presented to him now, my fear is that he, he rejects it. That's my fear. My fear is that he finds holes in this system um, when uh, and you talk about these uh, all this consortium that they actually uh, consortium they actually one hundred percent are throwing money into this to get it back up and operational and they do not expect a return on it. They actually don't expect a lot of return in the first three years uh, from the no, model. But- and so this is about investing in the future of agriculture. I'm just concerned that they put the they put the knife through that and emerald. Um, they come up with a solution. Private enterprise comes up with a solution. I just hope. I just hope he gets out of the road. Yeah, and mate, they will get a return because the most precious asset anyone can buy is the human capital to run that business. So they will get a return. Um, and so, but this is you are right because Napco was one of the ones that were leading the consortium when I was federal agriculture minister that we helped support and QIC were prepared to, to do all the financial legwork. But Ferner actually said he didn't support it because he was worried he was going to end up with the training facility again. I mean, this guy um, just does not understand agriculture. He's from no. Brisbane uh, and he's, he's done nothing in his life other than be a public servant or, or a politician, uh, doesn't understand the real world, doesn't stand, understand the opportunities. Just have a go. Like Dad said, what have we got to lose? Have a go. And, in, and, and let these people make the investment in Queensland agriculture and Australian agriculture, make Longreach a pastoral hub for education. Uh, this will put Longreach on the map again for education. And Mark Ferner is the one that can make it happen. And if he does, I'll be shouting from the rooftops, good on you, mate. But if he doesn't, I tell you what, Queensland uh, should look at this bloke and ask the question, why, in fact, has he got a job at all? Yeah, you make a very, very valid point. Moving forward, um, there, there is some concerns around superannuation, and Anthony Albanese has come out and, look, mate, I, I'm genuinely worried about the state of our economy now because I've seen this all too often before. I remember when Rudd got in. I do remember it. I remember when Howard got ousted when we had a phenomenal economy and then we, we had all these – Hairbrained ideas that came in and caused bedlam, and we're still digging our way out of it. Now we're seeing another way to try and grab, and that's to try and overhaul superannuation. Um, it, it is just unbelievable what is going on. Step us through it, and where are you guys sitting at the moment um, as the National Party on, on these plans to overhaul superannuation from the Prime Minister? Yeah, mate. Well, you change the government, you change the country. And that's what is is happening here. Anthony Albanese made a very clear promise to the Australian people before the election. He said he had no intention of changing superannuation rules. He would not, he would make it, he made that commitment. He would not change superannuation rules. As he made a promise on 
on energy prices and cost of living, that everything was going to be cheaper under him. But when he's got in, he's just he's changed the rule book. He just said, I don't care. Uh, and what he's saying is that they have a philosophical view that they don't believe that people should use the vehicle of superannuation to save money for their retirement and for their family. Uh, now, the, the issue that we have, particularly with this, is that those people, and I don't have $3 million in my, in my super account and never will, no. but those people that do uh, invariably have businesses that that is their superannuation and they've sold their business. In fact, there are caps on how much, even after you sell your business, you can put into superannuation. In fact, it's around $1.6, $1.7 million. So if you sell your business, that's where your super, that's where your money goes into your super. So you, you live on that uh, per person. And that's the sort of stuff that we're saying, they're going to change the rules on this. So these people who have gone out with the sweat and courage and conviction of their own wallet have gone out, run a business, employed people, paid their taxes, uh, and we're told they need to save for their own retirement, have played by the rules all the way along, and then a Labor government comes in and says, well, those rules don't suit us anymore. No. Uh, we want to we get hold of your money, and we're going to tell you how we're going to spend that money. So they want to take it out of your super and, and spend it on things they want. And in fact, Greg Combe's in the paper today saying we should tax more so that we can give that super money to people who don't have super. That's socialism. Um, no one is owed a living in this country. Um, the the amount of your bank account is usually commensurate to the effort you put in. Uh, and if you're going to take that away, take away the the effort to go out and have a crack and work every day and, and save money and set that aside for when you need it, then our country has, has changed significantly. And that's what Anthony Albanese is doing. He's ideologically changing this country to socialism uh, and... That's not going to work. So the reality is, is we're against this. This is against the, the core principle of a free democratic society such as Australia. Uh, and we'll, we'll oppose it because this is your money, not the government's money. You should decide how you spend it, not us. Uh, and I suspect that you'll do a lot better job of spending it than what any federal government will. Yeah, David Littleproud, our guest this morning. We're going to take a break, come back with more. This is Rural Queensland Today. Our guest this morning, David Littleproud. Welcome back to Rural Queensland today. David Littleproud, leader of the National Party, joining us on this Tuesday morning, the 28th of February. The Murray-Darling Basin, David, um, water ministers have filed to reach an agreement on how how about the, the hundreds and hundreds of gigalitres of water promised to for the environment will be recovered across the Murray-Darling Basin. And this is the issue. They make all these statements, yet they can't deliver. Then they go and they take from other places. It's a dangerous – you had this place under control. You had the whole Murray-Darling Basin system completely under control. Why have we now gone through this again where we are in a hell of a mess and they are really undecided about what the next outcome is? Well, well, they're not undecided. This is pure ideology. They simply want to take more water off farmers and they want to buy it off farmers. So farmers are going to be okay. Farmers will get their get their check, uh, but what will happen is the communities that support them, the machinery dealer, you know, even the, the hairdresser, the bakery, they're all going to hurt because what happens is you take productive capacity out of agriculture and out of the industry, you lose jobs and you, and you diminish your town. We've seen buybacks have killed towns. Now, under the basin plan, we've got 14 gigalitres to recover here in Queensland, and that can be done with some efficiency projects as well as uh, a small purchase. But what they're saying, what this Labor government is saying, is in June next year, the basin plan expires. And the states, the southern states in particular, were meant to put infrastructure projects in place that recovered water 
to the environment using infrastructure, not taking off farms. That's that's common sense. That's smart. Uh, but the states haven't been able to finish those projects and won't be able to finish those projects by June next year because of floods and droughts and all sorts of issues. And they asked for an extension. Tanya Plebisek and Anthony Albanese said, no, we're not allowing you to do that. So there's 360 gigalitres down there that has to be recovered uh, as of, the, of June next year. And if those infrastructure pieces aren't done, which they won't be because they're big pieces of infrastructure, then Tanya Plebisek intends to run away with the checkbook. But there are the kicker comes for Queensland. There's an extra 400 gigalitres, 450 gigalitres, I should say, that needs to be recovered as well uh, that is in addition to the plan. But there was a social and economic test to that that meant you couldn't take that water out if it, if it hurt a community, if there was an economic disadvantage to the community. So there's only been about four gigalitres being able to, through a pro infrastructure project, because you just simply can't take water out of communities and not hurt them. So what Tanya Plebisek is now saying is, we're going to get rid of that neutrality test. We're simply going to come in and we're going to take that 450 gigalitres with buying water off farmers. Now, there'll be plenty of sellers. Farmers can will get sure. their money, but the communities won't, and they're the ones that will hurt. So you're talking about over 700, nearly 800 gigalitres of water coming away from Australian agriculture. You could see potentially about 25% reduction in, in, in our food and fibre production just from that alone. Now, old grade A business economics always tell you if supply – goes down, prices go down, go up. Yep. So if the supply goes down 25%, your price at the, at the grocery store is going to go up and you're going to pay that bill and you should see Anthony Albanese's face on this all for an ideology. And in fact, the practical reality of this is some of that water, you can't even get to Adelaide because there's this thing called the Barmer Choke down in Victoria and it's a physical constraint. You just simply can't force the water through it without causing environmental damage. So this mob... Um, is just trying to chase a few votes in Adelaide. They've already got them. They've already won those seats in Adelaide, but they're hell-bent on trying to work on an ideology of saying we're going to save the environment when the environment is well and truly okay. Uh, and this is going to rip communities apart. So the Murray-Darling Basin plan was over when I got the Northern Basin Review through Parliament. We were done and dusted, but now there's 450 gigalitres to come from across the basin and Queensland's back on the hook. Our mayors and our community should be very worried about this. We thought the basin plan was over. It's now about to restart, and the water wars are about to start with them. Yeah, well, we've even seen up in, in, in Richmond and Julia Creek, Tanya Plibersek just put a, a line through, you know, what was a proposed, you know, absolute unbelievable water system and infrastructure system uh, for that town. 300 jobs, nut because of overland flow. It was just garbage, and why it, why it rolls out into the ocean they don't care. They're very, very negative on anything agriculture. And, and that gets me to the sheep live export issue. Um, we've spoken to Mark Harvey Sutton and, and now we've got Murray Watt, who I early on had said was doing a fair job, but in recent times has decided to, 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 decide to just make things on the run. Now, he's going to phase out this. They are phasing out the live sheep trade in Australia and his comments are very worrying. Yeah, look, Murray Watt says that the, he's shutting this down because the science says that it can't be done. Well, I'm saying to Murray Watt, put the science on the table so we can actually do, can actually discuss it and, and debate it. Because you know what? I created the science. When we had the Awasi uh, boat in 2018, we reformed the live sheep industry. We now know the number of pants per minute that a sheep takes on, that, on a boat. 
we know how much airflow goes through that boat. We have the best stocking densities in the world. Uh, we, the industry themselves put a ban on themselves during the northern summer so that there wasn't heat stress. We've moved from a mortality way of measuring uh, these shipments to animal welfare. We are the only country in the world that do this. And all that we are doing for the virtual signalling that Murray White and the Labor Party want to do to the Teals and Greens is say we're going to export our animal welfare standards to another country, a country like Sudan, Ethiopia, South Africa. And let me tell you, they don't have stocking density rates. No. They simply put as many sheep as they can on those boats and, and they just get paid on whatever's left on the way over when they get there. So let me tell you, this is for all the moral virtues that these mob are saying, this is just about getting boats. This isn't about animal welfare. The only ones that were serious about animal welfare was the export industry and the National Party in reforming the industry, in making sure that we could keep it going with the social license it deserves. The science says it can be there. This industry will continue. Let me tell you, the, the Middle Easterns want this. This is cultural. I, I went to an abattoir in Kuwait the size of a football field, complete with a viewing area for 2,000 people. They come with their kids, complete with a playpen in the corner, air-conditioned comfort. They pick their sheep out. They go inside and watch to make sure that that sheep is slaughtered to their religious custom. And then they pick it up at the end as it goes through the chain and they, and they get it sliced and diced as, they want, as a butcher wants them to, and they go home. It's cultural. We will not change it. We will not change their culture because that's what they want to do. But we make sure that that abattoir is to an Australian standard and we make sure that the sheep that go over there are healthy and that they, we, we don't lose sheep on these shipments going over. Uh, no other country can do that, but we're going to handle that over. A $100 million industry, of which about 40, 40 to 50% of that goes back to the farmer. So the farmer gets most of the money out of this uh, and 3,000 Western Australian jobs. But just beware of this. It's coming to a state industry near you because this mob's already shut down cattle. And I can tell you these activists, they've, they've turned Anthony Albanese uh, on this one. He's going to shut it down. And then they're going to sell their houses in Perth. And they're all going to Townsville, going to Darwin. And they're going to be there until they shut down the live cattle job. So they're coming to an industry and state near you and Labor is just going to let them do it. And what they're saying is they're phasing out because what they want to do is say in three or four years' time, oh, look, we're not sending any more boats because there won't be because people won't invest in the infrastructure, whether it be boats, trucks, or even cockies putting sheep on the ground because there's no one to go. And they say, look, the industry died itself. So they want to try and want to kill this industry slowly and quietly so there's no political pain for them. But there are 3,000 families in Western Australia that will lose their jobs uh, and, there will, and there will be contagion to cattle with this mob if we're not careful. Yeah, unbelievable. Quickly, Linda Thorpe, you, 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 I mean, how do we have senators like this? I, I'm, I'm embarrassed as an Australian. I really am. <laughs> yeah, mate. I mean, this woman is a, a, a walking time bomb. I mean, You throw she, yourself at the Mardi Gras in front of a float. I mean, in protest, I mean, I, I just am at that point now where, you know, I don't think we should give her any airtime, but we need to overhaul the senator um, platform. You're that, spot that, on, that, mate, that, yeah. That's where we're at. We have to look at it because it's embarrassing that we have these people who have control of how our country is, is operated. That, that's, the, that's the issue that I've got. Well, well I agree, and I mean, we shouldn't give her airtime, but it does go to our political system. The fact that she wasn't, she wasn't directly elected, just understand this. She got on uh, into the Senate through the Greens ticket. And so the Greens are the ones that own this own this seat, not Lydia Thorpe. So for her to say she's no longer sitting in the Greens, 
she didn't get elected as Lydia Thorpe. She got elected as a Greens senator. Uh, and I don't think that you can honestly say that she deserves to be there if the people of Victoria didn't vote for Lydia Thorpe, they voted for the Greens. And she's no longer with the Greens. She doesn't deserve to hold that spot. She should relinquish that spot, hand it over to the Greens, God help us for whoever they may replace. But uh, that is not how our political system should operate. I, I think, in all fairness, if you can't live by the values and virtues of what you got elected by uh, and the party, then you should step aside and allow them to put someone else in, particularly in the Senate where it doesn't cause a by-election. Uh, they right. can simply appoint it. They can simply appoint it. Uh, and I think we, we should look at those reforms because these crazy people like this just do nothing for our political system. I have no problems with Lydia Thorpe having different views to me. But there are ways in which you express that, and there are respectful ways to to, to express that. Uh, and you know, she's just trying to get a headline, no matter what, no matter the, the the event she's at. That's not respectful. In fact, I think she's probably doing more harm to her cause than than any good. You appreciate your time this morning. Thank you so much for being with us, David Little Proud. Great to chat. Thanks, mate. Welcome back to Rural Queensland today. Joe Shepherd of Queensland Farmers Federation Chief Executive Officer joins us this morning on this Tuesday morning, the 28th of February. Where has the year already gone, Joe? Good morning. I mean, we're going into March. It's unbelievable. It's incredible, Ben. Totally unbelievable. <laughs> Just keeps on getting quicker and quicker. Look, our jobs in Queensland are always a big talking point, and they have been for some time, mainly because of the pathways that was cut out by the government um, a few years ago when the pastoral college was being shut down and just a lack of understanding from different governments. But moving forward, there has been some real, I suppose, game changes. And um, with the Queensland Farmers Federation, you, you have really, really worked hard and now have partnered with you working to create ag jobs for Queensland. This is a very, very exciting time uh, for young men and women looking to get into the agricultural industry and there's a really good platform for employers and job seekers to engage and learn. Absolutely, Ben. It is a really exciting time for agriculture. Um, you know, for, for those, those of us who love ag, it's always been a fantastic sector, but I think uh, for anyone who's looking at the sector over the next 5, 10, 15, 20 years, it is poised for incredible growth. Uh, there's a, there's an amazing uh, range of new skill sets and new career pathways coming online across the sector. So we are really excited about this platform because, as you said, the workforce crisis uh, is a challenge for farmers across Queensland. So this is a sophisticated job matching platform which uh, can really help, um, you know, an employer if you're in the ag sector across the supply chain in Queensland and you've got a, a role you're trying to fill. You, you can connect with job seekers on this platform. But equally as exciting, it's going to be a one-stop shop where we're going to be able to showcase um, the amazing career options that, that do exist and are going to exist into the future um, in this platform. So how do – and this is not only for people who are wanting to get into agriculture, but anybody who has an existing career and wants to upskill, how do they go about it? How, how does that work? Yes, yeah, absolutely, Ben. So for, for job seekers or if you are already working in the um, ag sector but are looking for your next career move in the sector, very easy. You go on to Ag Jobs Queensland, uh, you register your profile and you upload your air CV um, and then you will be automatically connected with opportunities across Queensland, across the ag sector supply chain uh, based on um, you know a very sophisticated um, technology piece which matches your skills to available opportunities. 
equally for employers. So if you're a business in the ag sector, and again, across the whole supply chain, um, you're able to register your profile, you're able to post your jobs, there's an opportunity to promote yourself as an employer of choice um, and to connect with, with those people who are looking for opportunities in the sector. Um, we, we, we also have been approached by a number of companies that don't directly work in the ag sector, uh, aren't involved in the industry, but um, really, really value um, the food and ag sector and want to help. So we've created a space in the, in the platform called Champions of Ag, um, and this is this is a place where um, those oh, other, you know, yeah. yeah, it's fantastic, Ben, isn't it? Big corporates, you know, um, big business that are working, not directly in the sector, but really want to support because they, you know, value food and ag, are able to get involved that way and support the whole sector. So in a lot of ways, it's going to give people an opportunity who probably don't day-to-day have that connection but might want to but realise the importance of it and they can champion that. And also, big business that does have an input into it and for the young men and women that want to see more get into it, this is a really big shot in the arm. It absolutely is. We've seen smaller versions um, of this platform spring up over the years but they've been you know, very focused either in just one um, – one area of the supply chain or just one geographical location. In talking to our members, we felt it was really important to just provide a one-stop shop careers in ag in Queensland across the supply chain across the state um, because, you know, if you're, if you're a job seeker or if you're thinking about your next career, um, you don't often, you know, just go to one location or one sector. You really want to be opened up to what the world of opportunity uh, in agriculture might present to you. So, we are really excited about the platform. Um, QFF, um, you know, it's, it's a significant investment for us, but we think that the ag sector is, is at a stage where if we're going to be able to, you know, work through these workforce challenges, we really need to start thinking outside the square, um, which is exactly what we've done with AgJob Queensland. It is something quite unbelievable. Now, there's a webinar on this Thursday and it's free, so... You, Queensland Farmers Federation, anybody listening is hosting alongside you working a free webinar and that will allow employees the chance to learn about the functionalities of Ag Jobs Queensland platform, which is pretty exciting. How do people register? Uh, they can just go to our website at QFF. They can register through our website. If they have any trouble, just ring QFF. Um, but it is, it's just an online forum. Um, the site is powered by our partners, You Work In, who are, of course, the tech geniuses behind the platform. So we will have um, the team from you working online and we'll literally just step people through. Uh, so if you're a job seeker or an employer or if you're keen to become a champion of ag, you can really understand all the different facets um, um, and, and, and functions of, of the platform and also see how easy it is to get involved. So just contact QFF or go to our website and, yeah, log on. There's a lot of excite- excitement there. Obviously, um, renewables is such a big thing and – the QFF has made sure that you guys are at the forefront. Are you comfortable in the direction that we're heading? Um, I think, I think um, you know, there's, there's, there's a lot of growth at the moment and it's not just in Queensland, it's not just in Australia, it's actually globally. And I think it's really important that we keep that perspective because, you know, not only is the Queensland ag sector competing for a skilled workforce, you know, nationally or, or across the state, uh, we are also actually competing for that workforce globally. So we are entering into a period um, where it's going to be really important to, as a business, think a bit differently about how you attract but also retain your skilled workforce. So 
Uh, interesting times ahead, lots of challenges, but I think in that there's also lots of opportunities. Yeah, I think you're dead right. I really appreciate your time. Uh, this is a phenomenal, phenomenal initiative by uh, Queensland Farmers Federation. To, uh, on Thursday, the 2nd of March, there will be a, a free webinar um, where the QFF alongside you working will be hosting uh, to allow employers to chance to learn about the functionalities of Ag Job Queensland platform. For So for young men and women, Ag Jobs Queensland is a one-stop portal for connecting employees and job seekers in the farming and agriculture sector, and it's been partnered with the QFF. You work in, and they're creating jobs for Queensland. What a great initiative and something that I think everybody agrees has to happen. Really appreciate your time this morning. Thank you so much as usual, Joe. Great to chat and uh, hopefully Thursday goes well. Well, thank you so much for your support, Ben, and I guess I will talk to you in March. You certainly will. Good on you. We'll have a take a break and come back. This is Rural Queensland Today on the Resonate Broadcast Network. Welcome back to Rural Queensland Today. Uh, we talked about the Great Australian Cattle Drive with Susan McDonald on Friday um, and what an amazing charity it would be. So just some detail around it. There's a 1,000 cattle that have been donated and they will, will hit the uh, Queensland stock routes later this year. This is a great thing. Now, this was launched, the Great Australian Charity Cattle Drive, and is a Beef Bank Queensland, Beef Bank Queensland initiative. Now, it raised funds to feed those less fortunate. Beef Bank has targeted a target of providing 2.5 million plus beef-based meals annually. What a great initiative that is. So after 10 weeks of walking, uh, the cattle will arrive in Roma and be sold by a charity auction. Now, other cattle can be donated there at the same time. So, Bim Struss is the chairman. We might try and talk to him shortly, who also sits on the Beef Bank board, said it was a great idea and it came from Andrew Rogers last October. Now, the concept quickly took root and it has been launched in Brisbane last Friday. The beef industry has a by the large, had some good years, so... What we're looking at is a 1,000 backgrounders from various different donors around Longreach and there will be obviously a pretty special pr- pretty special uh, experience for those who go on it. Um, we will try and get everybody involved in this as well, but what a great initiative that is and one that I think long-term um, has some absolute, I think, residual effects. I think we'll see this happen more and more again. But I love what Beef Bank is about and moving forward, I think that's a a great, great thing. So moving forward, I mean, you looked at the market now over the last week and we've seen young cattle prices recover some of the lost ground. And we understand that everybody's very concerned. Um, But there was an interesting article written over the weekend in Beef Central and what it what it claimed was that there was evidence that the prices after those falls from the week before were probably starting to recover a little. So, I mean, it, you know, you always look at and you understand we don't want to free fall, but it seems to have held up a little better than what it was and all that time and worry that everybody's had. Now, there's no way it is back to where it was 12 months ago, but we all realise that that climate is very different to now. It'll be interesting to see. Obviously, Roma is underway as we speak, and we've got Dolby tomorrow. Uh, we know that Blackall had their first sale last week, and there was no sale due to um, the funeral of Rob Barnard's 
uh, in Emerald um, on Thursday, but they will be back operating as well this week as well, uh, on Thursday. We'll take a break, come back with more. This is Rural Queensland Today. Well, that's it from us here this morning at Rural Queensland Today, the 28th of February, the last day of summer technically. Tomorrow is March. Wowee, it is flying. Ray Hadley to join you next. Have a great day, Queensland. And remember, when the weed is ripe, keep the headers rolling in the paddock. We'll see you tomorrow from 9am on Rural Queensland Today. Till next time, it's bye for now.